This morning, we're going to be jumping back into a series that we've been in that's entitled Believe. And we've been looking at the signs and the miracles of Jesus that, are, that, that Jesus performs that are recorded in the Gospel of John. Um, and John has he's gone through his life. He has lived his life. He walked with Jesus. And at the end of his life, he reflects back on the life and the ministry of Jesus. And he records this Gospel And it isn't until the very end of his gospel that he actually gives us the reason why he wrote it. And at the very end, in John chapter 20, he says this. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is what John wants for us. This is why he has taken time to reflect on what he has encountered as he has journeyed, as he has walked with Jesus. He wants us to know why Jesus performed these miracles. He wants us to to step in and to come to a place where we will believe in Jesus, where we will believe he is who he says he is, and our response will be appropriate. That as we believe in Jesus, we will find life. I have shared with you, and maybe you haven't heard it yet, but the word that we have translated as believe. So when John says, my intention is that you would believe. The Greek word that we have there is this word called pastuo. And it's probably better translated actually as an idea and rather than a word. And it's this idea of complete trust or complete surrender going all in. This is what John wants for us, that through encountering Jesus, that we would move to a place where we are all in in complete surrender and trust. And as we celebrated communion this morning, going all in means that we acknowledge that we are sinners. We have to come to a place in our walk with Jesus where that is what we acknowledge, that we were sinners, and it is only by his grace that we have this new life. This is what God has called us to. This is what John longs for us to experience. Life in Jesus. So far, we've looked at a number of Jesus' miracles, and we started out by looking at Jesus turning water into wine. We've looked at Jesus healing the official son and Jesus healing the man at the pool, Jesus feeding 5,000, and then Jesus walking on water. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at the account that John records of Jesus healing this man who has been born blind. And before we dive into our passage, I'd just like to invite us into a moment of prayer. So would you bow with me? Holy Spirit, we welcome you here, and we have welcomed you in already this morning. Holy Spirit, we know that Jesus sent you from the Father to come so that you might bring life into us, that you would dwell within us, so that you would illuminate your word to us. And so my desire this morning, Holy Spirit, would be that you would illuminate God's word to us, that we would hear your voice, that we would see your face, and we would know you. So come, Holy Spirit, and speak to us this morning through the Word. Be honored and glorified. Amen. 
So the account of Jesus healing the man who was born blind is found in John 9. It's the entire chapter. And I'm going to invite you, if you have your Bible, certainly to open up. It will be on the screen. And this is a long passage. I'm not going to lie. So don't fall asleep. But let's, let's dig in and let's hear the word of the Lord this morning. John says, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought, the <clears throat> they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? And so they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how, we, how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind, Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered already, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. 
We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't even know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. So Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now you claim you could see your guilt remains. And this is God's word. As we look through Jesus' miracles, there's a bit of a pattern that emerges. And Jesus, as you look through the the Gospel of John, actually, Jesus either makes a, a claim about who he is. He is the bread of life. Or or he performs one of these miracles, healing the man who has been born blind, or or healing the official's son. And every time he does this, every time he makes a claim or performs a miracle, it results in this misunderstanding. There's people who don't understand what he is doing, and there's people who, who do or kind of are wondering what's going on. But then there's people who, like, he creates controversy. Surely this man is from God. Like, how could anyone perform these miracles if they weren't from God? How can he perform these miracles on the Sabbath? That's clearly sinning, so how could he be God? And so there's this controversy and this misunderstanding over what Jesus has done or what he has said. And ultimately, every time Jesus makes a claim about himself or performs a miracle, people are forced to make a choice about who they think Jesus is. You see, either he is who he says he is or he's not. And this is what we see in the account of Jesus healing the man who has been born blind. I want to take a few minutes and and just provide you a bit of some context and a brief synopsis of the events that have led up to this. Especially because we haven't been kind of in this for the last couple of weeks. And so we're going to kind of go back, and we're going to go back about three chapters to John chapter 6, and that's where we see Jesus feeding the 5,000. So Jesus has been performing his ministry. He's amassed a great following. And he's standing on the hill and he feeds the 5,000 people. It's at this moment that the people begin to wonder, is this the Messiah? These common folk, these unspiritual, these these people who were not leaders but were followers, begin to think, maybe this Jesus guy is the one who is going to provide all of our needs. He is the one who is going to set us free from the political oppression that they were under. 
This is what they were longing for. This is what they were hoping for and waiting for. And perhaps this was the man. And they wanted to make Jesus king. And in that moment, we see that Jesus actually sends his disciples across the lake and in a boat. And and all of a sudden, this crazy storm comes up and Jesus is seen walking on the waters. The disciples are terrified initially, but they come to recognize that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. He is, in fact, God. And it's good for the disciples to understand this because Jesus is going to make some really hard claims about who he is. And so on the other side of the lake, all of those followers of Jesus, they're wondering where he is, and they eventually come and they find him again. And the crowds gather, and there's people who are longing to hear Jesus speak. And Jesus gives them the hardest teaching that they've ever heard. He says, I am the bread of life. Unless you eat of me, you have nothing to do with me. This morning, as we celebrate a communion, I'm reminded of that. That this is a place where we recognize that before Christ, we are sinners. We are desperate. We are broken. We are condemned. But it is through Christ's body that was broken and his blood that is shed that we have new life. This is the truth, and this is what Jesus was declaring would happen. And this causes so many of his followers to desert him. They leave. They can't handle this truth. And so just before Jesus comes and performs this miracle, we actually see him coming to Judea to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's during this festival that there's widespread whispering and gossip about who he is. The people are talking. Who is this man that can can feed 5,000 with bread from heaven? who declares that we have to eat his body. And, and people are wondering, people are, are confused. And about halfway through the festival, Jesus gets up in the temple courts and he begins to teach. And Jesus begins to claim that his teaching and his miracles are from no one other than God the Father. And so this leads to even further division. If you can imagine, there are people who are already like, ticked off with Jesus and they are not happy with him. And then there are, there are those who want to worship him. There are those who want to make him king. And he's making these claims and people are divided. And many of the religious leaders are, in fact, they're determined to arrest Jesus. They're like, we have got to put a stop to this. And Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then Jesus declares that he is the truth. He has been sent from the Father. And the religious leaders have had it. They are determined, not only are we going to arrest them, we're, we're going to kill them. And so they begin to pick up rocks because they are going to stone Jesus. And Jesus slips away with his disciples and they continue on their journey. And it's at this point, as they have slipped away from those who want to stone Jesus, that they come across this man who has been born blind. And John tells us that Jesus saw the man. I don't know if you picked up on that. And the disciples notice that Jesus saw the man. As a side note, I wonder if we are paying attention to the things that Jesus is paying attention to. 
Are we seeing the things that Jesus sees? Do we notice when Jesus sees someone? But the disciples did. They had become attuned to what Jesus was doing a little bit, and then they see Jesus focused on this man. They see him seeing him. And they ask Jesus a question, and it's a profound question in their mind. But they say this, they say, since this man was born blind, who is to blame? And I, I, I have speculated, and, and I'm going to state right now that this is just speculation. This is no way gospel truth. So please hear this. But I have wondered if this was the disciples getting a little bit excited. And they're trying to stump Jesus. Okay, if Jesus is truly God, let kind of, okay, Jesus, prove it kind of thing. And what I mean is this, and I'm going to give you an example that will maybe help illustrate it, maybe it won't, but the other day I was playing a board game with Bella, and it's a game called Beat the Parents. The whole objective in this game is that it's a trivia game, and really it's geared so that the kids will win. Adults have really hard trivia questions, and the kids, they have hard questions at times, but they might be a little bit easier, at least for adults they are. And so the objective is to move your piece across from your side of the board all the way over to the other side of the board, and whoever does that first wins. To move your piece, you have to answer these trivia questions correctly. And unfortunately for Bella, because Google has been my best friend for a really long time, I know a lot of random facts about a lot of useless trivia, including which country is the boy band One Direction from? And so, yeah, you laugh. She was surprised. <laughs> I was a little bit surprised, to be honest. But I beat her quite easily. And so when we finished the game, I got up and I went into the kitchen and I was working with Amanda. I don't, maybe we were sitting at the table doing a puzzle. But Isaiah and Bella started playing this game. And every time Bella or Isaiah would ask a question, either Amanda or I would blurt out the answer before the kids had a chance to answer. And event, each time we would do that, the response would be, Mom! Dad! You know all the answers. But eventually it became a game where they were trying to stump us. They were asking the hardest questions they could, and every once in a while we would get one wrong. But this is sort of the picture I get with the disciples in this moment. You see, Jesus has declared that he is from God, that his miracles and his teaching come from the Father. And so I I sort of picture the disciples going along saying, well, what about this guy? What happened here? Why is this guy like that? Or what happens in this case? I want to know those kind of answers too. And then Jesus come, or they come, and they notice Jesus looking at this man, and they say, well, what about him, Jesus? Clearly they know the man has been born blind somehow. Whether they, they've grown up with him, whether they've seen him from birth, they know that this is a guy who's been born blind. And this wasn't an easy case. This wasn't an easy answer that just anyone could know. This really, for them, was an answer that only God himself could know. And see, the reality is is that the Jews had this belief that tragic events were God's way of balancing moral scales. So when bad things happened to people, it was a way of punishing them for the things that they had done. 
And so every suffering person deserved what they got. That was sort of the viewpoint that they came from. And so not only that, but the Jews also believed that it was possible for somebody to sin even before they were born. So the Jews had this high view of life in some regards in that a baby within its mom's womb was possible of sin. Even before they had come out, that they could be sinful creatures and sinful beings. And so in their mind, the assumption was that this man was clearly being punished. Either for the sins that he had committed or for the sins of his parents. He deserved what he got. But how could Jesus possibly know for sure who was responsible? If he had committed sins before he was born, how would Jesus know that? If it was the parents' sins, how would Jesus know? And yet Jesus completely overturns their question. He doesn't even respond in the way that they are expecting him to. He says the blindness wasn't the result of any wrongdoing or sin. He says it occurred so that the works of God would be displayed. And so Jesus spits in the dirt and he makes mud and he breaks the Sabbath. And the illusion and the image that they're making there is actually that Jesus is kneading dough. That he is making bread. And he puts it in the man's eyes and he sends him off to wash the mud away. And the man does it. Now, this is where I'm sometimes confused. Like, does the man even know who Jesus is? Does he know what is he's capable? But the man goes and, and he washes. I mean, really, what does he have to lose? And as soon as he does what Jesus has commanded, as soon as he goes and washes the mud away in this pool, and the other thing that's interesting about this is that from where the man would have been begging to the place where he would have gone to the pool to wash the mud off was further than he would have been allowed to walk on the Sabbath. So not only has Jesus broken the Sabbath rules by, by making dough and bread and, and placing it on the man and healing the man, but the man now has committed sin in the eyes of the Pharisee by walking more than he should have. And yet the result is that he goes home with his sight. He is now able to see. And it's at this point that the account really sort of shifts. And the disciples are really no longer in this story. They're only almost like secondary features here. But we see the events that ensue when the man receives his sight. And I think it's important that whenever we consider some of these stories, there's a tendency for us to want to associate ourselves with the people of God. As the church, we kind of say, well, we are, in every story, the people of Israel. In this story, we want to be the man who was born blind, who receives his sight. But sometimes we actually relate more to the other characters in the story. Maybe we actually relate a little bit more to his friends who are dumbfounded by what's happened. Or maybe we're like the parents who are like, yeah, we know that that was our kid, but we have no clue what happened. Or perhaps we're like the Pharisees and we're really not accepting of what God has done. And so it's important that as we enter into some of these stories, as we, the, the, the gospel accounts, that we actually take it in from all the different perspectives. 
And this morning, I want to look at just three different perspectives. I want to look at the perspective or the response of the Pharisees, and I want to look at the response of the blind man. And then I want us to consider our response. So let's start with the response of the Pharisees. See, when the friends of the man bring him before the Pharisees, the Pharisees are divided. The Pharisees aren't really sure what has happened, and they're not in agreement. See, some of the Pharisees are beginning to wonder if Jesus is actually the Messiah. How else could this man have received sight? They would know that this was the blind man. They would have seen him as they went to the temple. And so who else but the Son of God or God himself could bring this kind of healing? But see, some of the other Pharisees were so caught up in the fact that Jesus was performing miracles on the Sabbath, that he was performing these healings, that there's no way he could be the Messiah. There's no way he could be God because he is sinning against their laws, their rules. And so how were they going to handle this? How were they going to handle this when they're divided? They can't agree. Maybe he's the Messiah. Surely he's not the Messiah. One of the challenges for the Pharisees was that they had built up this wonderful religious system. They had built this system that would actually enable themselves to stay in power, to stay in authority and rule over the people. They lorded their spirituality and their knowledge over everyone else. And they had built up all of these traditions and these laws, and they had rules built upon rules and around rules. And here comes Jesus, and he's unraveling these traditions. He is unraveling the control they have over the people. Plain and simple, he was breaking their rules. He was standing in opposition to them, and and he was the one that they were preaching would come. He is the one that they are longing for, and here is the man who who is not doing things the way they expected. As Dan Greider writes, he's an author and a pastor, he says virtually every group ever in power has resisted his kingdom. Most kings do everything possible to control and to manipulate the masses. They justify their behavior by saying they are acting for the common good. This was the Pharisees, and Jesus simply would not conform to their ways. He wouldn't conform to the the manners and and the methods that the Messiah would come to. The way that the Messiah would come. And Jesus is breaking their boxes. Jesus is breaking their system. And that's really not good for the Pharisees. Because if they are the spiritually elite, if they are the gatekeepers and they don't know that this is the Messiah, then maybe they're wrong on a whole lot of other things. And that would be challenging for them. That would be challenging for us, is it not? (laughs) I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to have to humble myself and say, what I did was wrong. What I said was wrong. But sometimes we have to come to those places, don't we? But it would have been difficult for the Pharisees. They had built up this system. And so initially, the Pharisees, they're going to try to disprove the miracle. 
Clearly, this isn't the same guy. He, maybe, he's, maybe he's the twin of this guy. Maybe he's just his doppelganger. And it's just someone who looks really close to him. Can't be the same person, but we know for a fact that it is. He testifies to it. His friends testify to it. His parents testify, this is the guy. He was born blind. There's, there's no doubt about it. And so clearly they can't discredit the miracle. And so when they can't discredit the miracle, they're going to pressure the man. Maybe if we put enough pressure on him, enough social weight that he will cave and he will turn and he will like, he'll just lie about it. He'll go against his beliefs and his understandings of what have happened and he'll just say that, the, that Jesus is a sinner and then it's all good. But the man refuses to withdraw his testimony. He refuses to deny what he knows for certain happened. And the Pharisees stopped listening to him. Well, if we can't discredit the miracle, if we can't pressure him to bow down to our power and our control, then we're just going to reject everything you have to say. And they were upstaged by this, in their mind, this sinful man. And so the only thing they could do was insult him and, and, and throw him out of the synagogue. They ignored the evidence in front of their own eyes and they kept rehashing the same old tired rules. Well, you're just a sinner. And they rejected the obvious truth that Jesus was the healing Messiah. And in the end, what ends up happening is they prove that they are actually the ones who are spiritually blind. They are the ones who actually cannot see the work of God in front of them. And it reminds me of the words found in Isaiah 6, where Isaiah says this. This is God speaking to him. He says, Go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. What a disastrous response. What a grievous response. But then we see the response of the blind man. And I am captivated by his response. I think the reason why we want to be the blind man is because we want to have the same kind of faith that he has. It inspires us. It challenges us. But here is a man who is genuinely broken and in need of a Savior. He has been born blind and people think that this is a punishment that's brought upon him. He deserves this. He's been seemingly rejected by his family and that's why he is forced to sit and beg. Maybe it gets to the point where it's just too much for his parents. They can't even, they can't provide for him, they can't care for him and so we're just going to put him at the temple and hope that somebody will have pity on him. And Jesus comes along and he sees the man. This is what I always love about Jesus is that he sees people. He sees us. But he sees this man. 
And through this man, Jesus is going to glorify God. And the man's first response really is one of faith. Even before he's received his healing, this man steps out in faith. He may have heard that there was this man who was named Jesus who was going around healing people. But there was no way that he could know that the man who put mud on his eyes was this same person. How would he know? Had he heard the voice of Jesus? Maybe. But he couldn't see. And so when Jesus puts the mud on his eyes and tells him to go wash it off, he does what Jesus tells him to do. I really wonder, how would I have responded to that? If I was in complete blindness, if I could not see, would I have done what Jesus asked without questioning, without doubting? I think I would have wanted to know, like, who are you? Why are you touching me? Why do I need to go and wash? Really? I have to go there? What's going to happen if I do wash? Jesus doesn't tell him you're going to go see. He says, go and wash. But the man responds in faith. He trusts Jesus. And through the man's faith and obedience, he is rewarded. He is healed. And then right after his healing, the blind man's friends ask him, who healed you? Like, they notice the difference in him. Clearly, he was blind before and now he can see. And he responds. He says, the man named Jesus put mud on him and told him to go wash. At this point in his mind, Jesus is just a man. He is just some guy who somehow has the power to do some healings. Imagine what it would have been like. All of a sudden, you were blind and a guy comes along and puts mud in your eyes, sends you to wash, and now you could see. I think I'd be so excited. Have you seen those videos where people like put on the glasses and they can see color for the first time? The response is amazing. It is like a whole new world. It would have been a whole new world for this man and he would have wasted no time in telling everybody what had happened. I don't know who he is, but this man Jesus healed me. But he gets dragged before the religious religious leaders and he is pummeled by their questions. They want to know Who healed you? And the man isn't afraid to tell them what happened. I love this about him. I want to be like him. He doesn't bow to pressure. He stands firm. I don't know a whole lot, but what I do know is that he healed me. And so the Pharisees continue to question question him, and not only does he gain his physical sight, he begins to receive spiritual sight. When he responds to the Pharisees, he's no longer referring to Jesus as a man. He says he must be a prophet. And then eventually the man stands up to the most religious and most educated in his world and says, you don't know what you're talking about. The man didn't try to prove anything, but he gives us this most powerful response. 
One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And in the end, because he refuses to deny what Jesus has done and because he refuses to bow to the pressures of the Pharisees, he's thrown out of the synagogue. And in Jewish culture, that was the end of life because the synagogue was the center of the community. And so it was as though they were saying, you are no longer part of our community. You are no longer part of our family. And yet the man stands firm because he knows what he has received. Then John tells us that upon learning that the man has been cast out, Jesus goes and finds the man. He seeks him out and he graciously reveals himself to this man. And knowing the mercy and the grace that he has experienced in Jesus, he wants to see the Son of God. Who is he? And upon Jesus' declaration that he is, in fact, the Son of God, the man responds with even greater faith. And he says, Lord, I believe. I trust you completely. I surrender to you completely And the man worships Jesus. Right there, he enters into a place of worship. You are the king. You are the son of God. You are God, and I will bow down to you. I don't need the synagogue. I have Jesus. And in the end, it is the blind man who could see clearly. And it is he alone who responds appropriately to Jesus. And that will lead us to our response. As I mentioned before, anytime Jesus makes a claim about himself, anytime he performs a miracle, we are confronted with the reality that we also have to respond to Jesus. At some point, we have to conclude that Jesus is either who he says he is or he's not. We have to come to the point where we decide Are we all in or are we not? Will we surrender to him? Will we trust in him alone? Will we worship him? And the truth of the matter is that we are in the midst of a spiritual battle. You see, we have an enemy who wants to stomp out our faith. We have an enemy who wants to distort our view of God so that we won't enter into this place where we will say, Jesus, you are God, I will worship you. But John tells us that in Jesus there is life. But you have to believe, you have to go all in, you have to surrender and trust him completely. And just like the man who finally saw the light who saw Jesus for who he really is, we too must worship him. This is the act of believing. This is the act of faith, is stepping all in. It is a point where we move from understanding that Jesus is just a man. We've had an encounter with him. When we begin to grow in our knowledge of who he is, we begin to see spiritually, maybe he's more than just a man, he's a prophet 
And then as we continue to experience him, as he declares who he is, we move to this place where he is no longer just a prophet. He is, in fact, God. He is who he says he is, and we will bow down and worship. So what is our response? Pete Scazzaro says this, he says, God invites us to ignore the distracting voices around us regardless of their source, and to pursue wholeheartedly our God-given life. This is what the man did. This is what I long to do. Regardless of what the Pharisees said, he knew what he had experienced through Jesus. Are we willing to ignore all of the voices that are in the world, all of, all of the religiousness and, and the rules and, and the laws to enter into a relationship where we come to the saving Jesus and we surrender to him? Well, that's my prayer. But there is an invitation to you this morning. Jesus has come. Jesus is before us. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. Will you be like the Pharisees whose hearts were hardened and whose eyes were spiritually blind to the life that was available to them through Christ? Or will you be like the formerly blind man and will you surrender your life to Jesus? Believing, going all in, and worshiping him. We have a choice to make. I want to close the service by praying the words of Psalm 27. And I want you to read this, and I'm going to, it's going to be on the screen, and I would invite you, if you want, to read it with me in response. In light of the man who was formerly born blind, but this is my closing prayer for us this morning. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me and devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an enemy besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. 
You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. Amen.